0: Today, The Matt Wall Show, a new report reveals how public schools are spending tens of millions of dollars to provide psychiatric care to children at school. But turning our schools into mental health institutions will almost certainly make everything worse. I'll explain why. Also, DeSantis and Vivek both have great moments at the GOP debate last night. While Chris Christie and Nikki Haley humiliate themselves, we'll break it down. And Iana Presley of The Squad wants to expand voting rights to 16-year-olds and convicted criminals in prison. I'll explain why that's a horrible idea. We'll talk about all that and more today on The Matt Wall Show. Talk as you covered for holidays with a free Moto G 5G phone. No gimmicks and no trade-in necessary. Just sign up for Pure Talk's unlimited talk, unlimited text, and 15 gig data. You can get all this for just $35 and you'll get the Moto G 5G phone for free. But here's the deal. You need to move fast because these phones are almost gone. So if your current phone is on life support, upgrade for free with Pure Talk. The new Moto G 5G phone boasts a two-day battery life, an exceptional quad pixel camera, and a whole lot more. Pure Talk Gives you America's most dependable 5G network at half the price. So make the switch today. Go to puretalk.com Walsh to get this exclusive offer and select the plan that's right for your family. Remember, PureTalk gives you America's most dependable 5G network at half the price. So make the switch today. That's puretalk.com Walsh to claim your free Moto G 5G phone with a qualifying plan. Pure Talk, simply smarter wireless. Also, I have a major announcement to start the show today or to continue the show Lady Ballers is now the most popular streaming movie on Rotten Tomatoes. Our first full-length feature comedy is the biggest launch in Daily Wire history, and it's now the number one streaming movie in the country. And you can watch it now exclusively on Daily Wire Plus. Not a member? Well, luckily for you, with code COACH, you can become a part of the Daily Wire Plus team and save $50 on new annual memberships. Around a century ago, the Spanish flu killed 700,000 people in this country. In terms of casualty count, that pandemic was deadlier than both world wars, plus the wars in Vietnam and Korea combined. The average life expectancy in this country dropped by 12 years virtually overnight, and many of the dead were young people. And yet, as the pandemic subsided, according to historians who have extensively documented this whole episode, Life returned to normal in just a couple of years. Society did not reorder itself. There were no permanent changes to, say, election law. Mail-in balloting didn't become the norm. Clusters of a fet leftists in San Francisco and Portland didn't insist on wearing masks for years afterwards. Things uh, progressed, and people just kind of moved on with their lives. Now, fast forward a century to the post-COVID era, and as you've probably noticed, the exact opposite happened. Instead of moving on, elected officials have opted to indefinitely extend COVID policies wherever possible. And some of these efforts are obvious. I just alluded to a few of them. But some of these efforts are not so obvious. In fact, they've gotten basically no major media coverage whatsoever, with few exceptions, even though they could affect your children in profound ways. In particular, with COVID as the pretext initially, there's now a large-scale effort underway to transform schools into mini hospitals, all for the benefit of a handful of startups that are funded out of uh, Silicon Valley. Now, you thought the point of school was to provide an education for your child, but that's not the case anymore. It hasn't been the case for a long time, really. Now the point is to turn students into patients in order to enrich investors in California. School is now supposedly a one-stop shop for all your children's educational and medical and psychiatric needs. According to research from the Kaiser Family Foundation, prior to COVID, there were, quote, essentially zero telehealth appointments for mental health and substance-related issues. You could look throughout the entire country, and and, uh, you'd find that it's just not something that was done. But beginning around March of 2021, everything changed. And that year, telehealth technology exploded in popularity. It was used for um, more than one-third of all outpatient visits for these symptoms, and uh, telehealth then went from something that basically no one used to something that more than 33% of patients nationwide were participating in, and nothing like that kind of shift has ever happened before. Many of these new patients were students in grades K through 12, and as the Associated Press reports this week, quote, now at least 16 of the 20 largest U.S. public school districts are offering online therapy sessions to reach millions of students. In those districts alone, Schools have signed provider contracts worth more than $70 million. Have you heard about that? Unless you read the AP, probably not. And you were never asked to vote on that. You were never asked to vote on whether schools will become also uh, places where therapy is is, uh, conducted for tens of millions of dollars. It just happened, whether you like it or not. One of the largest telehealth providers in, in schools today is called Hazel Health. They're active in more than 150 school districts across 15 states. And just this year, the AP reports, Hazel signed a $24 million contract with Los Angeles County to provide teletherapy to more than a million students. Hazel has also signed lucrative deals in Hawaii, Nevada, Florida, Texas, Washington, Georgia. A lot of taxpayer money is being spent all of a sudden on in-school therapy for kids. So that's tens of millions more dollars spent by the school system to go along with the billions that it already wastes. But the bigger issue beyond the cost of all this is that schools should not be handling any of this in the first place. This is maybe the most egregious example of mission creep in modern history. Like it should go without saying that schools are not hospitals and they're certainly not mental health facilities outside of dealing with minor injuries, which school nurses can handle and have always been able to handle, schools should not be offering full-service medical care, least of all psychiatric care. They certainly shouldn't be promoting mental health treatments via the internet. Now, this, this is the biggest problem and the thing we should all be stopping to think about. Why are schools spending tens of millions of dollars to offer therapy to kids? Now, it used to be, like back in my day, back in the dark ages, that the school guidance counselor was really just like the school's version of an HR rep for students. So you'd talk to the guidance counselor if you had some kind of issue uh, with another student or a teacher or whatever. And most of the time, she would give you a, a sticker or a coloring book and send you on your way. So the guidance counselor's role was relatively narrow in that way. But now increasingly, schools are taking it upon themselves to play shrink. They're referring to children. They're referring children to Zoom calls with anonymous doctors for talk therapy, and parents have no idea what exactly is being said in these sessions. It's true that parents, you know, have to consent to these telehealth providers seeing their children to begin with, but beyond that, the whole point of the practice is that parents don't have to come, you know, and get their kids. Parents can stay at work; they can stay at their job, and meanwhile, a telehealth provider is free to say affirm a child's gender delusions or misdiagnose. A serious illness. Now there are a lot of issues here and one and not even the biggest one is the quality of care that kids will receive. Time magazine looked into this back in uh, November of 2022 and they reported at the time that quote, Time interviewed six mental health professionals who formerly worked for telepsych or substance treatment startups, some of whom asked to remain anonymous because they still work in mental health care. Regardless of their employer, they had similar complaints. Appointments were too short to properly treat and assess patients. Clinicians were overworked. And policies around prescribing drugs and treating complex cases often weren't rigorous enough. Time also reported that, quote, Federal investigators are probing prescription practices at Dunn & Cerebral, a popular startup that offers virtual therapy and medication management for depression, anxiety, insomnia, ADHD, bipolar disorder, and substance use disorders for as little as $99 per month and that some former employees have, have said over stimulants for ADHD. In May, pharmacy giants, including CVS and Walmart, stopped filling controlled substance prescriptions from Cerebral and Dunn clinicians. Now, for its part, the Wall Street Journal found that, quote, Dunn, run by a former Facebook product manager with no medical training, also advertises heavily on social media. Dunn's clinicians continue to prescribe stimulants, sometimes after appointments as short as 10 minutes. So more broadly, when when people go to telehealth providers, they're often being misdiagnosed. Researchers at the Mayo Clinic looked at around 2,400 patients who underwent a video telehealth consultation, followed by an in-person visit for the same problem. And they found that in 13% of cases, the diagnosis didn't match up. So they're being told one thing from the telehealth provider, and then something entirely different from the person they actually saw in person. And that might not seem like a lot, 13%. And indeed, the Mayo Clinic touts this as a positive number, but it's not positive. It means that out of just 2,400 people, more than 300 of them were misdiagnosed. And that, it would seem to me, is obviously a major problem. Now, it's no secret why these businesses have appeared out of nowhere and immediately acquired an enormous amount of funding. Part of it is is that it's true that children and young adults are experiencing extraordinarily high levels of mental distress in this country. This year alone, more than 60% of teenage girls reported feeling persistent feelings of sadness or hopelessness. The director of the CDC's school health division, Kathleen Ethier, said that in 30 years of collecting data on depression among young people, quote, we've never seen this kind of devastating, consistent findings. When you look at the long-term data, you can see why the CDC is saying that. According to a recent report in Education Week, CDC data shows that, quote, 42% of high school students in 2021 reported feeling so sad or hopeless for at least two consecutive weeks in the previous year that they stopped engaging in their usual activities, up from 26% in 2009. And those are, like, shocking numbers, in fact. And it means that, yes, children are more depressed than they've been in a long time, probably Ever. And now they're being treated with a brand new form of telehealth talk therapy, therapy offered in school, even though there's very little evidence that talk therapy in general actually accomplishes anything. Just this year, the New York Times reported that a recent meta-analysis found that, quote, more than half of the patients receiving therapy for depression, that is, talk therapy, had little or no benefit. A 2022 uh, paper out of Germany, meanwhile, determined that, quote, after more than half a century of research and millions of invested funds, the positive impact of therapy and medication was, quote, limited. Now, in other words, a lot of people relied on therapy to fix their problems, and therapy did absolutely nothing for them. In fact, especially if they were counting on this therapy to fix their issues, and it didn't, it may have then had the effect of making their mental problems even worse. So that is the very thin evidence that supports in-person talk therapy. The evidence supporting Zoom therapy is even more scant. To the point where there's really no reason to think that it helps at all. So this is another area where we are essentially conducting psychological experiments on children. We're saying, hey, let's let's see what happens when we have kids sit in therapy sessions with some random person over Zoom. Maybe it'll help them. Maybe it'll screw them up even more. Let's find out. There's a lot of that kind of thing going around. And across the country, many school districts and many parents are allowing this to take place. And they're doing it ostensibly because of this widely reported mental health crisis with our kids. But the problem is that there's, there's a lot of confusion about the cause of this crisis. And usually the problem is blamed on uh, this epidemic of bullying that you hear about. I mentioned the AP article about the, as they put it, booming business of online therapy, which schools are now turning to and spending tens of millions of dollars on. And that article starts with an anecdote about a young girl who was bullied in school and called, quote, fat and ugly, and so she's now in online therapy with whatever therapist her school connected her with. The obvious implication is that this is why we need our schools to increasingly provide psychiatric care to kids because, you know, of all the bullying that goes on. But the thing is that kids have always been bullied. I mean, arguably, if you've ever listened to your parents or your grandparents talk about their public school horror stories. Bullying used to be considerably worse than it is these days. And back then, kids weren't going to therapy over it. They certainly weren't going to therapy at school. They also generally weren't psychologically devastated by the bullying to the same degree that kids are today. Because it's probably true that kids today are more anxious, more confused, more depressed than they've ever been before. We know that childhood suicide used to be basically unheard of, and now it's a growing epidemic. So something is going on here. There's a major problem, and the schools have come up with all kinds of schemes to allegedly help solve it, which now includes putting millions of kids in therapy during school hours. But it's not helping, and it won't, because the people addressing the mental health crisis with our kids, they don't understand where it comes from. And a lot of these, in fact, I would say most of these therapists and counselors and psychiatrists who make all this money to diagnose these problems, they also don't understand the problems. They understand the problems even less than you or I do. And and here's where the problems come from. What lies behind it, what lies behind this mental health crisis that everyone talks about with our kids is a deliberate effort to psychologically and spiritually destabilize our children. This is an effort that's been undertaken in large part by the school system itself, which now pretends that it wants to solve the problem that it is actively helping to create. Our children are lost. They're untethered. They are vulnerable. That's why they're so incapable of coping with the kinds of challenges that kids in the past handled relatively easily. It's because of the conditioning they've been subjected to. Kids are indoctrinated into a worldview where reality is uncertain. Truth doesn't exist. Their own biological identity is fluid and subject to change. Their country is evil. Their ancestors were bigoted troglodytes. They're taught to be suspicious of their own families, their own parents. For years, they were told to stay inside, not talk to anyone, because they might spread a virus that had a minuscule chance of causing them any harm whatsoever. If they're white, they're taught to hate their own race. If male, to hate their own sex. They are severed from all anchors of meaning and purpose. And then we look around and wonder why they're all so depressed. And then we send them to therapists who invariably will enforce the indoctrination that put them in this state of psychological distress in the first place. Although schools aren't even doing that, really. They're not bothering to refer kids to the psychiatrist's office. Now schools are simply putting iPads in front of children's faces and connecting them with TikTok nurses who will most of the time, affirm every delusion they have. They're doing this allegedly to save parents some time, I guess. But in reality, it's about making a few big tech startups a lot of money. And it's about solidifying the indoctrination they're getting in school. And so far, parents are going along with it. In school districts all over the country, they're, they're handing their kids over to Zoom shrinks while they stay at work. And all the while, they'll just have to hope that their children won't get the wrong diagnosis or receive a prescription for some drug they don't need, or end up with more mental problems than they already had. We're told this is the future of medicine. And whether you like it or not, whether you consented to it or not, it's probably on its way to your child's school. Now let's get to our five headlines. Diversify your savings with physical precious metals while stockpiling silver in your home safe. Birch Gold Group is offering the most popular special of the year now through December 22nd. For every $5,000 you spend with Birch Gold, they'll send you a one-ounce Silver Eagle coin for free. Text Walsh to 989898 to claim your eligibility now. You can purchase gold and silver and have it shipped directly to your home or... Have Birch Gold's Precious Metal Specialists help you convert an existing IRA or 401k into a tax-sheltered IRA in gold for no money out of pocket. And they'll send you free silver for every $5,000 you purchase. Keep it for yourself or give something with real value as a stocking stuffer this year. Just text the keyword Walsh to 989898 to claim your eligibility. With A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau and thousands of happy customers, now is the best time to buy gold from Birch Gold. Text Walsh to 989898. 98 98. And claim your eligibility for free silver on qualified purchases before December 22nd. That's Walsh to 989898. Another Republican debate last night. We're going to get into more detail about it um, during the cancellation. I do want to say that this uh, one was hosted by News Nation, which is an upstart cable news channel. And it was moderated by Megan Kelly. And they did a great job, actually. Megan um, asked probably the best questions I've ever heard at a debate. Granted, a pretty low bar, but she uh, she exceeded it uh, quite handily, and so she was great. Ron DeSantis had his best performance, I thought. Vivek was uh, very, very good as well. And I do want to play for you just two clips. This is the positive, and during the daily, daily cancellation, we will, we will we'll focus on the negative, which is more fun. But here's the positive, um, and DeSantis had several very good moments, but uh, I like this one because he was smacking down Nikki Haley, who... You may not know this, um, but I'm not a big fan of Nikki Haley. So I did I did like this. Watch.
1: And this shows how hypocritical Ron continues to be. When he was running for governor and they asked him about that, he said he didn't think bathroom bills were a good use of his time. You can go look that up. I signed a bathroom bill in Florida, so but that's obviously said, no. not true. <laughs> The idea that you would say that I I was against that. I signed it. You didn't. You killed it. I signed it. I stood up for little girls. You didn't do it. And there was this going on. I was actually just in South Carolina. Some of the legislators told me at the time there were boys going into the girls. That's the whole reason why they did it. And so they say when she does that explanation that that doesn't hold water. And this is the upstate of South Carolina. I signed the bill. I protected the girls. She did not do do it. I know that.
0: Well, it's hard to win a point any more unequivocally than that. You don't support this kind of legislation. Uh, I signed the legislation. It is a law in my state because of me. What do you mean I don't support it? And then Haley sputters and mumbles and then and, and eventually stops talking. Um, total embarrassment. And also just very bold, and I don't mean that in a good way. Very bold for Haley to try to go after DeSantis on any cultural issue, especially the trans stuff. Desantis has been the best. Um, he's been the the best elected official on those issues, like probably in the history of the country. I, I can't think of a, of, a, of another elected official who, when it comes to the cultural issues, has been better, has been substantively better than. Um, and when I say substantively, I mean not just in terms of the things that he says, but the things that he's actually done. So this is. This is what he does. And then you've got Nikki Haley, who's been nothing but a typical GOP squish, a liberal in a very unconvincing disguise. And she's trying to go after DeSantis on his strongest point. Um, That's her weakest point. Not that she has any strong points. Her weakest point against his strong point. And that's that's what she's trying. It's like, um, I don't know, it's like Mitch Trubisky claiming that Tom Brady isn't a very good quarterback. This is like like Ryan Leaf saying that Peyton Manning was a draft bust. Most of the audience, not really big football fans, I realize. So that analogy probably isn't clarifying much for you. But the point is that, uh, well, you get the point. You might not get the point, but still. Um, Haley is is going after DeSantis on what is his strongest point and her weakest. And it makes her look very stupid. There was also this moment, which um, is another one where Nikki Haley was humiliated. Uh, This time by Vivek Ramaswamy, and uh, there's actually actually a lot going on here that we'll talk about. But first, let's watch the clip.
1: I want to say one thing about the tie to Ukraine, if I may. So foreign policy experience is not the same as foreign policy wisdom. I want everybody at home to note that I was the first person to say we need a reasonable peace deal in Ukraine. Now a lot of the neocons are quietly coming along to that position, with the exceptions of Nikki Haley and Joe Biden, who still support this, what I believe is pointless war in Ukraine. And I think those with foreign policy experience, one thing that Joe Biden and Nikki Haley have in common is that neither of them could even state for you three provinces in eastern Ukraine that they want to send our troops to actually fight for. Look at that. This is what I want people to understand. These people have... I mean, she has no idea what the hell the names of those provinces are, but she wants to send our sons and daughters and our troops and our military equipment to go fight it. So reject this myth that they've been selling you that somebody had a cup of coffee stint at the U.N. and then makes eight million bucks after has real foreign policy Let experience. It. it takes an outsider to see this through. Look at the blank expression. She doesn't know I'm the ready. names of the provinces I'm that she wants to actually fight for. And there's right, a puppet man right me. there. The donors. The donors right there that are playing with like the puppet okay, Enough.
0: Okay, um, so a few things to think about here. First of all, this was... Uh, this was maybe the riskiest gamble I've ever seen anyone take in a debate. And I don't think that that is uh, an exaggeration. This is high stakes gambling right here. Uh, it's a huge risk. Because think about this. If, if if Vivek challenges Haley with this line and says, well, you can't even name three provinces in uh, Ukraine. And then if Haley actually responds with the answer, if she goes, I'll give you five. Boom, boom, boom. Then it's a huge win for her, and it's a crushing embarrassment for Vivek, and it probably ends his political career. It, it, like it would be that humiliating. That's the kind of clip that you just you never live it down. Probably ends your career. But instead, the gamble paid off, and um, he made his point, and she, he proved that she's a fraud, and it was a significant win for him. But man, like that is a risk. I, I like to think that I'm a risk taker, and that I, I'm willing to do. Uh, to go out on a limb, uh, you know, but but I would not have done that because I would have thought to myself, well, there's a 40% chance maybe that she can actually name some provinces. It wouldn't surprise me if she could. Uh, it's like, at least maybe she's done some debate prep and that's come up, you know. Um, so I'd give it about a 40% chance that she, that she could answer it. So I, I would not have put myself out there like that. But Vivek obviously has an even better read on her than I do, and uh, so he was a lot more confident she would not be able to answer the question, and he just totally crushed her with that, and it was pretty spectacular. And it it proves an important point, because this is not some meaningless gotcha moment. It is a gotcha moment, but it's not meaningless. Because, look, I I will admit, I can't name three Ukrainian provinces. I can't even name one. I have no idea. The most I could do with Ukraine is I could point to it on a map. And that's it. That, that's the only thing I could do. You give me a map, I'll show you where it is. But other than that, 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 that is the, the extent of my knowledge about Ukraine. And that's okay for me because I also want nothing to do with Ukraine. Okay? I don't care about Ukraine. You can't, you know, you can't back me into a court. Oh, you don't even know anything about Ukraine. Yeah, I don't care about Ukraine. Why should I? Why should I know anything about it? I don't care about it. I don't care about Ukraine. Um, I don't care uh, who who controls Ukraine. I don't. I just. I don't care. It, it doesn't. If Putin were to take control of Ukraine, I don't care. Why should I care about that? And even after all this time, still no one's been able to explain why we should actually care about that. Well, you think Putin should? Well, I'm not saying he should. I just don't really care if he does. So one corrupt government instead of another corrupt government controls that, that piece of land. It's not my land. I don't care. Let them solve it. Let them fight it out. It doesn't matter to me. Makes no difference. And um, so I'm allowed to be ignorant of Ukraine because, I, because in anyone else, if, you, if your stated position is, I don't give a damn about this place, not my problem, then being ignorant of it is perfectly fine. But if you claim that Ukraine's fate is deeply important to us, and that its fate is tied to our fate in some mystical, mysterious sense, if you want our children to potentially die in its defense, if you want us to send our money and resources by the billions to this country, then you need to know everything about that country. Like Then the burden is on you. And you need to be able to explain, Yeah, you know, the, the default position, the logical default position for any of us is when someone says, oh, there's a war in Ukraine, okay, why should I care? That's a logical default position. If you think that we should care, the burden of proof is on you to say, no, no, you should care, this really matters, here's why. Um, and that requires you to have, at a, at a minimum, like a deep knowledge of that part of the world and of that country. And yet Haley has this view of Ukraine, how important it is to us, and can't even tell us about its basic geography. So Vivek is correct that, you know, she, she would have potentially our children go die for a country she doesn't know anything about. Go, 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 die in a a, a, a province. Die defending a province of Ukraine That she can't even name So uh, yes That proves that she is a reckless neocon Who would get us involved In wars in countries that she knows nothing about And um, Even though she had You know the audience there bailing her out Because she stacked the audience with her donors And so they were booing You know the audience is booing Vivek's like can you can you tell me something about this country that you care so much about? Boo. That, no, that's, that doesn't matter. Really? You trained SEALs, you idiots? It doesn't matter whether she knows anything about this country that uh, that she's constantly preaching about how important it is? Of course it does. So those were uh, two great moments for Vivek and, uh, and DeSantis and not so much for Nikki Haley. Okay. Moving on to this from Fox News. Democratic Massachusetts Representative Ayanna Presley, a far-left squad member, called for allowing incarcerated citizens to vote in federal elections while also referencing her support for permitting individuals as young as 16 years of age to cast a ballot. And this was during a press conference introducing legislation that would restore felons' voting rights. And these are felons uh, uh, out of prison but also in prison that she wants to vote. Let's uh, watch a little bit of this press conference.
2: That's why we're here today, to introduce the Inclusive Democracy Act, a historic, brand new, first of its kind bill that will end the stain of felony disenfranchisement in America and guarantee the right to vote for incarcerated, informally incarcerated citizens. Our bill is a reflection of bold, progressive, democratic values. Because with Republicans and the Supreme Court stopping at nothing to undermine voting rights and to exclude black and brown folks from participating in our democracy, we must must be just as relentless in protecting and expanding access to the ballot box, including for incarcerated citizens. Jim Crow is not behind us. Our democracy is on the line, and the stakes could not be higher. As a Boston City Councilor prior to my time here in Congress, I was proud to advocate for expanded access to the ballot box, requiring ballots to be made available in multiple languages, expanding early voting in local elections, and in Congress I led, efforts, I led efforts and legislation to lower the federal voting age to 16 and urge the DOJ to aggressively protect voting rights and to fight against voter suppression.
0: Now, I will say that of the two things, giving voting rights to 16-year-olds is significantly crazier than giving voting rights to convicted murderers in prison. I mean, both are crazy. Both are very crazy. Don't get me wrong. But it's, it's even worse with 16-year-olds. Because at least in theory, you, know, you could have some prison inmates who are clued in, intelligent, aware, um, inmates who have a mature perspective on the world. Uh, I think that crowd in a prison is probably very small, like, I don't know, 2% or something. But- it's there. Um, on the other hand, with 16 year olds, um, I've never met a 16 year old with actual like insight into the way the world works, uh, or the country works. Maybe in prison you'd find, maybe there's like a Morgan Freeman and Shawshank Redemption type. Um, sorry, like, like he can vote Morgan Freeman and Shawshank Redemption. I'd be fine with letting him vote. Um, but that doesn't exist among sixteen-year-olds. Like that—that that just doesn't exist. Um, these are not people that know, that have insight into the way the world works, the way the country works. Um, I, I've never heard a sixteen-year-old say something where I'm like, "Well, that's a good point, huh? Never thought of it that way. Uh, this, this is a good insight. Uh, just, I don't think a 16 year olds ever said anything like that. And um, I certainly didn't when I was sixteen-year-old, sixteen years old myself. The only defense that you could offer of sixteen-year-olds voting is just by saying that well, eighteen-year-olds aren't much better, and they can vote. I mean, there's only it's only two-year difference, and you're right, which is why uh, you know actually the voting age should be like twenty-five instead of eighteen. You could make an argument for thirty or thirty-five. Now, uh, but I'd be happy if we raised it to twenty-five and. As I've argued plenty of times in the past, there's real science behind that. You know, that's, that's actually not an arbitrary age. If you lower it to 16, that's an arbitrary. Like, why not just lower it to, to seven at that point? Why not let Why not let infants vote? I don't want to give Ayanna Presley any ideas because she'd probably be okay with that. She's also okay with murdering infants, but uh, hey, the ones that that slip through the cracks, uh, you know, we'll let them vote. So. Twenty-five, though, there's real science behind it, and we know that the the prefrontal cortex of the brain is not fully developed until the age of 25, and that's the part of your brain that regulates, directs your higher-order mental functions. And that's where, you know, decision-making, discernment, long-term planning, all of that happens. And the thing is, when someone's voting, you want them to be able to think in terms of the long-term. You want them to be discerning. So when people under the age of 25 vote, these are people who are like literally mentally incapable of being fully discerning and thoughtful, or at least are, are deficient in that area through no fault of their own. Just their brains are not developed yet. It's not their fault. It's just, it's just the way that the brain develops. And you know, speaking of mentally impaired, many people in prison are there in part because they are low IQ incapable of higher order reasoning. That's how they ended up in prison in the first place. So to give them the power to vote would be absurd. Also, you know, even if they are intelligent and, uh, and, and all of that, losing participation in society is a just punishment. So I don't care if the prison population was the smartest and most mature of any population in the country, they still have to be punished. And this is part of it. So expanding voting rights... Um, in this way is obviously not what you do if you actually care about the future of our country or if you wanna preserve our democracy. I mean, you could say that the most effective way to undermine our democracy is to let people, is to let too many people participate in it. So you undermine the democracy by letting too many people into it. Like Democracy, is, it's not some magical thing, okay? Democracy is not magic. It is not exempt from the basic rules of life. And one of the basic rules of life is that too many cooks in the kitchen spoil the broth. Okay? One of the basic rules, no matter what it is, whatever you're trying to accomplish, you can reach a point where there are too many people involved in it. Um, that can happen. Like there's nothing in existence that is better and more effectively accomplished simply by adding more people regardless of their skill set, regardless of their intelligence. That doesn't, it doesn't work that way in any aspect of life. Why would it work that way when it comes to, to, to deciding the future of the country? Um, so, no, it's never that you need more people. It's that you need a certain kind of person. And when it comes to voting, you need intelligent, mature, law-abiding adults who are invested in their country's future and have skin in the game, so we need we need them. Adding more from outside that demographic will just make everything worse. Ayanna Presley knows this, by the way, like that's the whole point. And this is this is what may seem like an irony that the tyrants in America today are the ones who want more people to vote, and they want more people. Because they know that as you add more and more people indiscriminately, the average IQ and awareness of the crowd in aggregate drops. And as the crowd gets dumber and more ignorant and less aware, the easier it is for people like Ayanna Presley to remain in power. That, that's the whole, so you know, we still think of a, a tyrant as someone who wants to exclude people from voting, wants to disenfranchise and so on. But these days it works exactly the opposite. In fact, if there was any politician who had who had the, the gumption to say any of this and to actually say, you know what, there are too many people voting. And, too many, and there's a lot of really dumb, clueless people voting, and it's a problem. And we got to do something about it before we fall off a cliff. Any politician who actually said that, they... You are making yourself, well, you're obviously making yourself vulnerable because you're taking a very unpopular position, but also I would consider it a good sign if there was a politician who said, you know what, I, I, I want on average the, the voting population to be smarter and more aware and more clued in. That, that is the sign of, a, of someone who is not a tyrant, is if they want that of the voting population. When you say, you know what, I want the population to be dumber, less mature, more oblivious, which is what you do when you add in 16-year-olds and felons and everybody else. When someone says that, that's the tyrant. All right. Um, I do want to mention this. NBC News has a report about the person of the year. Maybe you've heard uh, already the news, the big news. Says, no single person this year has captivated public conversation quite like Taylor Swift. So much so, that Time Magazine has named her its 2023 Person of the Year. Um, Swift beat a wide-ranging pool of finalists, including Barbie. Barbie was in the, like, the toy? Okay. Former President Donald Trump's prosecutors, and Britain's recently coronated King Charles III. But... Uh, Taylor Swift was named the Person of the Year. Now, I know that um, this is the part where you're expecting me to launch into a whole rant about how Taylor Swift is dumb and shouldn't be Person of the Year. And like, yeah, she is dumb and she shouldn't be Person of the Year. But, And, and I know that, that, that many conservatives have been complaining about this. And every year we get the Person of the Year and conservatives pretty much always complain about whoever it is. It's, like, it's an annual tradition. And, uh, and I get that. You know, it's a tradition. So we, we I like traditions. But I will say that, you know, I'm not a Taylor Swift fan. So I, this is going to be an unpopular opinion probably among the audience. I'm not a Taylor Swift fan. And yeah, she's a dumb leftist and all that. And yeah, her music is vapid and annoying. But I, I think it makes sense that she's person of the year. Like I heard that and I thought, okay, yeah, it makes sense. Sure, I can see that. And then I see the reaction from a lot of people on the right. This is, how is it, Taylor Swift? What do you mean? What do you mean, how is it, Taylor Swift? Didn't she have, like, three number one albums this year? (laughs) The top three albums are all hers. And uh, she had a tour, the biggest tour of all time, and one of the biggest selling, one of the the, the top uh, grossing films of the year. So she dominated every category of media, and then, and then sports too. She became the top story in the NFL. I'm not saying I like that. I just it just literally every every category of media she dominated, and um, I don't prefer that. But it, it's like it's kind of impressive, isn't it? It's it's a little bit. I mean, it's a little impressive. Are we actually going to pretend? Oh, yeah, it's just three number one albums. I could do that. I could do that in a year. The top three albums? Who cares? That's, that's nothing. So I don't really get the complaints. Um, Time has made some bizarre choices for person of the year, but choosing someone who, who again, dominated literally every form of media, I I think it's understandable. And I realize that as I say this, I'm not beating the charge that I'm a closet Swifty. And that is a theory in some circles. My producer McKenna was uh, accusing me of that recently. It's totally spurious, baseless accusation, just because I saw her in concert three times this year, suddenly I'm a fan. Just because I spent $147,000 on front row tickets three times, suddenly I'm a, I'm a big fan now. Get a grip. And I'm not, I'm not saying that I would have named Taylor Swift person of the year. But really, but who else would even make, I was thinking about this this morning. Who, because usually they, they name person of the year and it's someone stupid. and you And you go, well, it obviously should have been this person. But who even, who would it be? Like, their other, their other runner, the runner-up was a toy. The runner-up was someone who doesn't even exist. I guess it was kind of a down year for humanity, I'm realizing. Like, no one really did anything good this year. No one did anything interesting this year. This, this year sucked. It did. Elon Musk, really, he's, he's the guy, it should have been Elon Musk. He's the only one who did anything interesting this year. And, um... I think he won recently. There's no way they're going to give it to him again. Like, there was no way that after this year, it was, it was not going to happen. They were not going to, if they had given Elon Musk a person a the year, there would have been like angry mobs at Time Magazine headquarters burning it to the ground. And so they weren't going to do that. Wasn't going to be Elon Musk. So if it's not Elon Musk, then who would it be? I'd, I'd be interested to hear this from conservative uh, complaining about Taylor Swift. Who do you even think it should be? Be, be, be real about it. Who should it be? I mean, it could have been me. So really, it was going to be me or Taylor Swift. It was down to one of the, one of the two of us. And they gave it to Swift. And if I'm not mad about that, about if I'm if I as the person who was gypped here, if I'm not mad, then you shouldn't be either. All right, let's get to uh, was Walsh wrong. <laughs> You know, my wife and I have the softest, most luxurious sheets on every bed in our home. Uh, I don't know how we ever got a great night's sleep before we had our bamboo sheets from Cozy Earth. These bamboo sheets are temperature regulating, which helps us both sleep better at night. If you're a hot sleeper and your spouse is a cold sleeper, you need these sheets, especially on these cold winter nights. Cozy Earth offers an array of sizes and 11 colors to match your unique style and preferences. Their sheets are made to withstand the test of time. My Cozy Earth sheets get softer and softer with every wash do just take my word for it. They have over 5,000 happy customer views on their site. What are you waiting for? Cozy Earth offers a 100-night guarantee, so there's no harm in trying them out. Make every night a cozy one with Cozy Earth. Right now, you'll save 40% on your next purchase with promo code Walsh40 at CozyEarth.com. That's promo code Walsh40 at CozyEarth.com. A few more comments on the uh, conversation about the Dinks. Maybe the Dinks should have been the people of the year. Um... A few more comments on that. We talked about it yesterday. A childless life doesn't have to be a meaningless or shallow life. One can be a writer, an inventor, a scientist, a doctor, a composer, anything. Even a podcast host. Would you say that someone who couldn't have children is doomed to a meaningless existence? Now the comment says, we're double income and no kids. I'm not sorry for it. We're living our lives as we want. We tithe and donate over 10% gross and volunteer. And the small amount of stuff we have is nice and paid for. Just because people don't want kids doesn't make them bad or superficial, bud. Uh, and finally, I thought we wanted our kids to do whatever made them happy, including not having kids. I don't have kids; it would not fulfill me. And at this point, there are too many people not caring about overpopulation. Anyone born now is going to have it difficult. I couldn't do that. Okay, first of all, overpopulation. I'm not going to get into the whole thing, but Overpopulation is a myth; it's made up. Um, you, you could take everyone that exists on the planet and fit them in like Texas. And leave the whole and you know and everyone could have a nice not a big yard but maybe like a postage stamp. You you could make Texas into one big um, suburb with townhomes and fit the entire population of the planet inside it and leave everything else empty. So um, overpopulation is a myth. We're not at capacity. We're not even close to capacity. We'll never get to capacity. It's never going to happen. If there's an issue. It is it is it is in the way we have decided to arrange ourselves. So there are places on Earth that are very overcrowded, but that's because we have chosen to group ourselves up into these, um, you know, metropolises and uh, and live right on top of each other. We don't have to live that way, but that's how we live. So overpopulation is a myth. Um, do we want our kids to do whatever makes them happy? No, we don't. Like no, pa- I mean, you're not a parent, as you say yourself. So I, you, maybe this is something you don't understand. Even though even before I was a parent, I would have understood this. So I'm not sure why you don't. I think it's just a lack of wisdom on your part. Um, but no, of course you don't want your kids to just do whatever makes them happy. When, when, when you're defining happy happiness the way that you apparently define it. Now, if you mean happiness in a deeper sense, the definition that I provided yesterday, which is happiness is is doing that which you are made to do. Happiness is fulfillment. And that's what fulfillment means. You are fulfilling. You are are doing what you are supposed to do. And um, that's what happiness means. So, yes, I want my kids to do what they are made to do, to do what they are supposed to do, to to fulfill their vocation. But then happiness is a byproduct. It's something that comes, you know, you're off doing what you're supposed to do in life. And then you look to the side and you realize, oh, I'm happy right now. That's great. And then you get back to doing whatever you're doing. But no, do I want my kids to pursue happiness for its own sake? And when you say happiness, you just mean the momentary fleeting feeling of pleasure. Do I want them to be led around by the nose, like, you know, sniffing out, uh, you know, following that trail the entire time, no. Because that leads you off into the the woods somewhere, and you'll be lost, and you'll also, in the end, be terribly unhappy. Um. Does a childless is a childless life meaningless or shallow? No, not by its nature. And as I've as I've always uh, said, you know. I think everybody is called to a paternal. Or maternal role. Everybody is called to a a parenthood role. And for most people, that will be in the biological sense. There are some people who are called to a a life of of paternal and maternal service in a a different way. Maybe they're called to a life of charity. Maybe they're called to uh, the religious life or something like that. Um, But the point is that nobody is called to a life of self-service. Nobody's called to a life where you know, all you do every day is go to Costco and eat snacks and sleep and, and and you know, go out to eat, you know, like that we heard from the Dinks. No one is called to that life. That is not a, that's not a, that is not a real, fulfilling, deeply lived uh, human existence. Now, as for all these other interesting things you could do, yeah, I've always, whether you're childless by choice or not, um, I've always said that if, if, you're go- if you are childless, however you ended up that way, it is true that the one thing you'll have in greater abundance than me, because you're not necessarily going to have more money than me, you're not necessarily going to have uh, more resources, you're not necessarily even going to have more you know, opportunities to go on vacations. Like I can have all that, but you will have more, probably more time, or I should say unspoken for time. Because we all get the same amount of time. Time is the same for all of us, but uh, y- you'll have you'll have more time that is not spoken for. You'll have more like extra time for yourself. And yeah, if you have all that time, that that is a resource. Time is a resource, probably the most valuable one we have. And if you do have all that time, at least do something interesting. Yeah, you could do something really interesting with it. And and. Um, yeah, yeah, go go out, go to the, go uh, live in a cabin in the woods and try to write the great American novel. I don't know. Do something like that. At least you're using the time then in an, in an interesting and worthwhile and fruitful way. The problem, though, is that with all these childless by choice people, I, I have yet to, to hear any of them say that they're trying to do anything like that. I've yet to hear them say, any of them say that, well, you know, all this extra time, I'm doing this, This I've dedicated my life to this really interesting, fascinating, deeply important thing. None of them say that. Instead, they talk about Costco, and they talk about uh, sleeping in late and watching a lot of TV. Are you one of the millions of American men and women dealing with premature hair thinning and hair loss? Well, finally, there's a real solution that delivers on its promise without the harsh side effects, unwanted chemicals, and unpleasant smells. Provia Hair Care uses safe, natural ingredients called Procapil to uh, effectively target the three main causes of premature hair thinning and loss. Provia supports healthy scalp circulation, delivers nourishing nutrients to strengthen hair follicles, and it anchors them to your scalp. Provia guarantees more hair in your head than in the shower drain, which is what you want. Provia is effective for men and women of any age and safe on colored, treated, and styled hair. Provia works guaranteed or 100% of your money back. It's that easy. Right now, new customers save over 50% off Provia's introductory package and receive a free gift at proviahair.com Walsh. See results for yourself right now. Don't wait. That's proviahair.com Walsh. Also, When The Daily Wire made Lady Ballers, we made history with our first ever full-length comedy. Then we made history again this week when Lady Ballers skyrocketed to become the nation's number one streaming movie, all thanks to your incredible support. With a solid 94% audience score on Rotten Tomatoes, thousands of user reviews, Lady Ballers is the return of comedies that we all love. We've proven that breaking records and shattering expectations is part of our DNA. If you haven't watched Lady Ballers, it's time to join in on the laughs. If you have friends, family, coworkers, pets who haven't watched Lady Ballers, Tell them they have to watch the number one movie in America, streaming exclusively on Daily Wire Plus. Take a quick look at the nation's top streamed movie from the Daily Wire, Lady Ballers. Check it out.
2: In a world
0: where women's sports is being transformed, the Daily Wire calls foul with the
3: most triggering comedy of the year.
1: Guys, this is serious. Sports can be your pathway to a better life. Well, like yours? <laughs> Please don't steal my catalytic converter again. Winning matters. It's the key ingredient in becoming a winner. Then
0: maybe you should try it sometime.
1: Are you gonna move? I am not. Let's cut to the chase. I know you're not a woman. Hey, oh, you don't he know how he identifies. If you can beat them. What do you know about the US Opens for the Global Games? You want us to compete as women. prizes. My lover says you were a great coach back in the day. Join. This is the way the world is now. My eight-year-old daughter told me all about it. So a guy can become a girl with no physical changes at all.
3: Oh, that's called gender fluid.
1: So I can be a woman on the court and a man in the bedroom. I can't believe it. Nice. You mean when you're sleeping? Yes. Coach. Alex, we We could play play basketball. basketball.
0: We'd have to get the whole team back together. It's time.
1: We're in.
3: I'm in. I'm in. to Plank. Lady Baldur's. Mount up. You like a girl. That's my, I'm with her. <laughs> I'm
1: leaving my, this is my truth. <laughs> from heroes. Day one of being a girl athlete.
0: <laughs>
1: I love being a girl. To she We could dominate every woman's sport. Running. Swimming. Soccer. I said sport feelings. Slate ladies basketball, boys. Nobody watches. Excuse me.
2: Are these seats open? <laughs>
1: N- never mind.
2: Getting dunks.
0: <laughs> and tucking trunks.
3: You know she didn't. That's the biggest I've ever seen on a lady.
2: I don't care.
1: Lady Ballers. One can even be trans age now, which provides Sheelix with a wonderful opportunity to relive all the experiences that she missed out on in school.
3: (laughs) Streaming exclusively on Daily Wire Plus, December 1st.
0: Well, our goal is clear. Lady Ballers needs to stay at the top, outdoing uh, last weekend's blockbuster opening as the number one movie in America. So if you don't have a Daily Wire Plus membership, it's time to join. it. yes, monthly memberships are just $14.99. You can cancel any It's your chance to join the Daily Wire and literally witness history by watching Lady Ballers. So get your Daily Wire Plus membership now at dailywire.com slash subscribe. Now let's get to our daily cancellation. Well, as mentioned, there was another Republican debate last night. And as you know, I generally find these debates and all political debates to be pointless and boring, though I will admit that during this cycle, the debates have been in spurts far more interesting than I thought they would ever be or could be, especially without Trump in attendance. But the entertainment factor has been significantly enhanced by the fact that, thankfully, many of the candidates in the race seem to genuinely despise each other. And it is that deep and sincere contempt between the presidential hopefuls that gives these otherwise tedious spectacles a certain spark. And, uh, and uh, I'm grateful for that. Now, of course, whenever the deba- debates devolve into angry arguing and shouting, you always have people on the media and on social media shaking their heads disapprovingly and saying, oh, no, this is terrible. There needs to be more civility. Where is the civility? But the opposite is the case. There needs to be less civility. It's only when the civility act is dropped that we get anything that approaches a sincere human moment from any of these people. So that's the positive takeaway. And staying on the positive note for just a moment, I will say again, Ron DeSantis, his best bait. Vivek also had a stellar night. But this is the Daily Cancellation where we focus on the negative, which admittedly is what we do for every other segment of the show, too. And there were too many cancelable moments to count, uh, moments that would certainly be deserving of the Daily Cancellation honors all on their own. Moments like this from Nikki Haley. Watch.
1: We really do need to ban TikTok once and for all. And let me tell you why. For every 30 minutes that someone watches TikTok, every day, they become 17% more anti-Semitic, more pro-Hamas based on doing that. We now know that 50% of adults, 18 to 25, think that Hamas was warranted in what they did with Israel. That's a problem.
0: Wait, what? Slow down. Let's back up here for a moment. For every 30 minutes spent on TikTok, you become 17% more anti-Semitic. That's a horrifying thought. Doing the math, that means that the average Gen Zer is 47 billion percent anti-Semitic. And these are shocking figures. It reminds me of another stat that I heard recently that said that um, 30 minutes on LinkedIn will make you 17% more bigoted against Japanese bisexuals. I also heard that for every 30 minutes you spend on Pinterest, you'll become 17% more racist against disabled Eskimos. And these are all statistics, and and uh, you know that, that sound totally uh, credible and make a lot of sense if you're high on crack, or if you're a politician just repeating talking points that were given to you by a staffer who is presumably high on crack. Whatever the case, none of it has any basis in reality. Needless to say, but that was somehow. Not even the most embarrassing moment from the debate last night, and somehow the most embarrassing moment didn't come from Nikki Haley. And for that, we turn to Chris Christie, who is apparently still pretending to run for president. And that led to this moment, let's watch.
1: You do not favor a ban on trans medical treatments for minors, saying it's a parental rights issue. The surgeries done on minors involve cutting off body parts at a time when these kids cannot even legally smoke a cigarette. Kids who go from puberty blockers to cross sex hormones are at a much greater likelihood of winding up sterile. How is it that you think a parent should be able to okay these surgeries, never mind the sterilization of a child? And aren't you way too out of step on this issue to be the Republican nominee?
3: No, I'm not. Because, I, because Republicans believe in less government, not more. In less involvement with government, not more in government involvement in people's lives. And you know what, Megan? I trust parents and we're out there saying that we should empower parents in education. We should empower parents to make more decisions about where their kids go to school. I agree. We should empower parents to be teaching the values that they believe in in their homes without the government telling them what those values should be. And yet we want to take other parental rights away. I'm sorry, as a father of four, I believe there is no one who loves my children more than me. There's no one who loves my children more than my wife. There's no one who cares more about their success and health in life than we do. Not some government bureaucrat, not some- you look at these jokers down in Congress. It takes them three weeks to pick a speaker, and up until two days ago, they couldn't promote somebody in the military in the United States Senate who earned their new rank. And we're going to put my children's health and my decisions in their hands? For them to make those decisions, for Joe Biden to make those decisions, for me and for my wife, let me just say this. This is not something I favor. I think it's a very, very, dangerous thing to do, but that's my opinion as a parent, Megan, and I get to make the decisions about my children, not anybody else. And every parent out there who's watching tonight, you start to turn over just a little bit of this authority. The authority they're gonna take from you next, you're not gonna like, I'll stand up for parents each and every time.
0: Now I'm gonna try to be respectful and civil in the way that I respond to this, which is why I'm not gonna say that this answer proves that Chris Christie's waist size is higher than his IQ. Um, I'm not gonna say that, and I didn't say it. Um, I'm a bigger man than that. Not as big as Chris Christie, but still big. So I'm not gonna talk about that. I'm not gonna address the elephant in the room. The point is that I'm just not going to indulge in ad hominem attacks. I'm certainly not gonna comment on Christie's weight, which is totally irrelevant. I'm also not gonna try to embarrass Christie by showing you this clip of Barbara Walters fat shaming him right to his face.
2: I'm sitting opposite you. But you are a little overweight. More than a little. Yeah. Yeah. Why?
3: Yeah. If I could figure that out, I'd fix it.
2: Do you try to diet?
3: Oh. Barbara, I've had I've had more diets and lost and gained back more weight in my lifetime than I care to count.
2: There are people who say that you couldn't be president because you're so heavy. What do you say to
3: them? No, that's ridiculous.
0: <laughs> you're a fat ass. Yeah, I am. Why? Why are you a fat ass? Anyway, I'm not showing you that. We're not gonna talk. We're not gonna show you that. We're not gonna get into it. Um, but if I did go that direction, I would be wholly justified because a man who says the things that Christie said in the first clip and who takes the position that Christie just took deserves nothing but scorn, ridicule, mockery, and contempt. And just to be perfectly clear, morally speaking, he might as well have just endorsed ritualistic cannibalism. Okay. His position is that barbaric and that morally depraved. And that's how we should see it and treat it. So let's start at the beginning. Megyn Kelly, who who did an excellent job moderating, as I said, reminds Christie that uh, gender transition procedures for minors involve castrating, sterilizing, removing body parts from children. He's asked why he doesn't support a legal ban. And he begins by responding, quote, Republicans believe in less government, not more. Really, Chris? So less government is a universal principle that we should apply to every situation? Should we have less government when it comes to other forms of violence inflicted on the innocent? Should there be less government involved in policing murder or rape? Would you call for a repeal on laws forbidding sexual assault on the basis that Republicans want less government, not more? In fact, forget about laws here in the United States. You want American government involvement all over the world. Suddenly, your less government principle disappears when it comes to time to defend Ukraine or some other foreign country that's irrelevant to most Americans. Our government is very involved in sending billions of dollars to Ukraine, and yet you have no issue with that. So is that the principle? The American government can be involved in protecting Ukrainian children, but not American children? Is that how the formula works in your thick skull? Or is the whole less government thing just a meaningless smokescreen that you deploy whenever you need to find a way to avoid engaging with an issue that you find politically inconvenient? Yes, I think we've figured it out now. Now, the same can be said about the rest of his answer as he launches into a speech about the importance of parental rights. I trust parents, he says. What do you mean you trust parents? That's like saying I trust uncles or I trust cousins. I trust stepsisters. It doesn't make any sense. Obviously, we don't have complete, blind, absolute trust in any group of people just based on their biological relationship to other groups of people. The trust we have in anyone is conditional, just as our rights are conditional. You can lose trust and you can lose rights. So going to prison is all about. And one way to lose both of those things as a parent is to physically abuse your child. As Ron DeSantis pointed out at the debate, making a statement that should never have needed to be said at a presidential debate, parents don't have the right to abuse their kids. If you treat your kid that way, you lose trust and you lose rights. Everybody understands this basic concept and agrees with it. The only question is whether sterilizing, castrating, and removing body parts from a child counts as abuse. But that's not a question at all. In fact, if that doesn't qualify as abuse, then nothing qualifies. If it's not abusive to have your child's body mutilated, then what the hell is abusive? What fits the bill if that doesn't? There is no gray area here, and Chris Christie knows that. Now, Christie may not be nearly as smart as he thinks he is, but he isn't technically brain dead. He understands basic concepts which means he understands that obviously it's not okay to try to physically alter a boy's body in an attempt to turn him into a girl or vice versa. He knows that. But he pretends he doesn't because he's a coward. He pretends to stand up to Donald Trump. You know, he pretends that if he's president one day, which he never will be, he'll stand up to Putin and Iran and China and whoever. The truth is, he lacks the fortitude to stand up to blue-haired trans activists with they-them pronouns. He, he, he's a, he's he's given up everything to appease those elements of the left. His integrity, his dignity, his chances of becoming president. Well, I guess he never had that third thing. Or the first two, come to think of it. But even so, all in all, he is still today canceled. And i will do it for the show today. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Have a great day. Talk to you tomorrow. Godspeed.